time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA. Agent Ether. Agent Gruger. And Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check us out on other forms of social media, links in the description. This week's episode, The Flatwoods Monster. And before we get started with this week's episode, we gotta pay the bills. You ready, Agent Ether? Let's go. Well, I was at the Greenfish Lady Cafe this morning enjoying a coffee chino when a hacker came along and stole my data from the unsecured public network. Gee, I wish there was some way to prevent that from happening. All you need is ExpressVPN. A VPN or virtual private network encrypts your data so the bad guys can't steal it. Wow! Have you heard of dynamic pricing? What's that? Online retailers charge you more based on where you live. With ExpressVPN, you can appear anywhere you want and get the best deal. That's my favorite kind of deal. What else can ExpressVPN do for me? With ExpressVPN, you can get access to streaming content that's normally blocked in your region. Could I even use it to get past restrictions on work or school networks? Yes, all you have to do is use the ExpressVPN app on your device. You can even use it directly on your router. That's right. Just go to expressvpn.com forward slash capital A, capital C, capital P for a special offer and get three months free when you sign up for one year of service. What a deal. Thanks, Thanks, ExpressVPN. That's expressvpn.com forward slash uppercase A, C, P. Link in the description. Now let's get to the show. All right. Oh, dear. <laughs> that, was, wrote, that was good, you guys. I wrote, I wrote that myself. Could you guys tell? <laughs> and then he made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to lie. Ether was like, oh, that that's stupid. <laughs> I was like, no, it's not stupid. It's good. It's, it's whimsical. You know, we have... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was, I, I was having fun with it. <laughs> but anyways, this week's episode, the Braxton County Monster. Or the Lizard Monster. Or Braxy. Or the Phantom of the Flatwoods. That was my next one. Or the Green Monster. Or the West Virginia Monster. Okay, that, that's all I got. You that's got, all I got too. Oh, okay. You guys got any other nicknames for this thing? I'm partial to Braxy myself. Yeah, yeah. Braxy's a good one. I like Braxy. No, that was all, all the names I know of. Yeah. This is going to be a fun one to describe because unlike a lot of cases we talk about, we don't have a really good original witness statement from all of the witnesses. A lot of the statements we have are from like reporters who went to the scene pretty much right away and started interviewing people. And then they put those reports like in newspapers and stuff. So of course they exaggerated or just invented details. And you can look at different newspaper reports and you can find any number of different versions of this one. So as we go through like the basic description, we can sort of go through and, um, you know, talk about different versions we found and, uh, you know, just say what we think about it, I suppose. Well, I think it's also important to to mention is like the, in 1952, this time, like aliens were everywhere. The public was enthralled with the idea of aliens. You know what I mean? There's all sorts of movies coming out about this and that, you know, dealing with aliens and such. And it was just, it was really a popular topic on, on the minds of the public at that time. And I think maybe as far as the reporters go and like some of their descriptions, I, I think some of their imagination might've, uh, you know, gone a little wild with some of this stuff, you know, but yeah. it, you know, at, at that time, yeah, ali- aliens and UFOs were super popular. Yeah. Some of the descriptions sound like something right out of a movie. And this was also in the in the midst of one of the biggest UFO waves or flaps, whichever you prefer, like ever. We did an episode before on the, the 1952 Washington, D.C. UFO and or UFO waves or sightings or whatever. And people were seeing the stuff all over the place all the time. Pretty much every day there were sightings. So this this was one event amongst many. But a unique event. 
a very, <laughs> very that's one way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> very unique event. Yeah. All right. So we're talking about uh, an event that happened in Braxton County in the Flatwoods area. And this is uh, east of where I just mentioned this because we did another one in West Virginia, the Mothman, uh, the Mothman. And this is east of Point Pleasant where the Mothman happened or the Mothman sightings. And that was in Mason County. This is Braxton County. It's about a two hour drive away from each other, give or take. That's I just Googled Flatwoods to Mason County or whatever. And it said two hours. By car or by bicycle? By car. Okay. Yeah. To be clear. By air, you know, if you're flying, it's probably much faster, you know, if you're the Mothman. But so this event happened on September 12th, 1952. And there's there's different versions, like I said, but it sort of starts, as far as I could find, with uh, Sheriff Carr and Deputy Bernal Long receiving a report from two witnesses that said that they saw a fiery object, uh, fiery object crash to the earth near the Elk River south of Gassaway. And they thought that this was probably a crashed airplane. Now, I saw this in a couple of different reports that this is sort of the first event in this area of the evening, but I didn't really see any details. Did the sheriff go out to investigate this crashed airplane? Um, did they call the military? Did they call a, like a rescue operation? I, I mean, that's just all it says. So I'm kind of like, mm, did they really receive this report? Who, or Who was the sheriff? Uh, sheriff Carr. I don't know. I didn't see anything else about him. Yeah, you yeah. Think? I couldn't. I couldn't find anything else uh, further out about that either. He wasn't related to a car. I found out to my disappointment. <laughs> well, hey, you never know—a distant relative or something, right? <laughs> but yeah, you never know. Um, it could be a detail that was invented by the press because the press were the foremost people to report this one, and even though there is evidence or proof of government interest in the case, I was not able to find government documents about this one. Like let's say a blue book case file, for example, um, that maybe it exists somewhere, but I couldn't find it. There was, there was one blue book reference actually. Yeah. That I found. Did you find this reference? Um, there was a couple of things. Now this is where it's kind of weird. I found in a file for a case that was in Georgia, uh, a couple of days before or after, I forget which, but they had like a magazine or a newspaper article in that file. And the Georgia file, if I remember correctly, was like two military people saw a UFO or a couple UFOs. And it doesn't seem to be related at all to the Braxton monster or the, you know, the Flatwood monster, whatever you want to call him, Braxy. And it just stuck in the end of that file. There's, there's this report called the Sutton monster and it says an exclusive interview with on-the-spot investigator reveals interesting facts. I printed it out. I don't think I'll get around to reading it because it's kind of long. We'll see. If the episode runs really short, maybe I'll read it. But um, there's that. And then there's what looks like an excerpt from a book that would have had to have been printed, you know, a couple of years after the fact. And then it's got some handwritten notes in there. And it talks about it as well. But the cool thing about this book is it has a folk tune that's uh, it says it's <laughs> sung to the tune of Sweet Betsy from Pike, and it's got the the chorus, a verse and a chorus, you know, and it goes, the size of the phantom was a sight to behold, green eyes and red face, so the story was told, you know, on and on, on like that. I wanted to sing it on the air with you know, you know, with Ether or whoever, but she's like, nah, no, no, nah. I, I said no because no one wants to hear me because I'm actually tone deaf. You are not tone deaf. My children. Ask me, not nicely, to stop singing. Do you know how rare it is to be tone deaf? <laughs> you are not tone deaf, trust me. That's like, that's super rare. It almost never happens. But either way, um, maybe I'll get to these at the end if we go super short, which I don't anticipate happening because there's so much to talk about for this case. But yeah, that's just weird that that's <laughs> that's the only mention I could find in the Blue Book files was these these were stuck in a different case file, so I wonder if it just got misfiled or something. It just is a strange place to find them. But anyways, we're talking about September twelfth, nineteen fifty two, once again, and our main event starts at about seven fifteen p.m. in the evening. And as the story goes, some kids were playing football. I think though maybe four kids were playing football out out in the field or maybe at their local school. I think it was a local school, 
and they saw a bright object fly across the sky and land on a hill on Bailey Fisher's farm. And this, there, I saw some reports that this sort of hinted that this might be the same object that was reported to the police, but I'm not sure about that. Like, I didn't find anything that said definitively this was the same object, but maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. So the kids went to investigate, and along the way, they stopped by Kathleen May's house. And she, along with her two sons, went to help search. Now, one version of the story says that the the kids playing football believed it to be a meteorite and they were going to look for it because they thought it might be valuable. And I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys saw that version of the story or not, but this is what I mean. Like some versions of the story include that detail. Others do not. When they, uh, the search party went and at this point, you know, after they left Kathleen May's house, along with her two sons, there were apparently, it was sort of, uh, a little hubbub was starting to generate it in the neighborhood. You know, people were starting to get excited and stuff. And there was a, another fella. I think Agent Ether has some notes on him as well. What was his last name? Lemon. I thought that was yeah, Lemon. So he Eugene, was a. I thought yeah, he was a National Guardsman, wasn't he? Yeah, National Guardsman. And there's some events regarding him, and then his mother actually, who was having friend, having friend, having coffee with a friend at the time of the event and she said there was an earthquake and the coffee spilled everywhere and the phones and the radio went out for 45 minutes. Wow. Okay. I didn't see that detail. So was that, <laughs> I, I read, yeah, go ahead. I, I read that, uh, I read that Eugene lemon was, um, he was the neighbor of Kathleen may and, uh, the two, the two of the boys that were playing football there in the field. The reason why they went to Kathleen may's house is because, uh, Two of them were brothers, Edward and Edward and Fred May. Okay. And the third one, um, I, that's the story that I read. The third one was uh, their their uh, younger friend Tommy um, Hayer, or Hayer. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but H Y E R. <laughs> and so, so actually, they, they went back to the mom to tell them the story, and I actually think that's kind of smart because, like, they didn't just go running off to wherever that thing landed. You know, they went to their mom first, and that's actually kind of a cool mom. I think, You're like, oh, you saw like a meteor? Let's go, let's go find it. Like, yeah, yeah let's go. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's what that's what I mean. So, one version of the story that I've found was that um, the Kathleen May's sons were not playing football, but they actually went along after the kids playing football went to Kathleen's house on the way to the hill. Another version is what ETA just said, which was that her sons were playing football and then they went to her house to... So this is what I mean. Like the There's so many different versions of this story that it's hard to really make sense of it. And it's kind of unfortunate with these really sensationalized things because when the details don't add up, it kind of makes it all seem a little less believable, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah. Well, it that doesn't I know necessarily that the, uh, the yeah. Go ahead. The name of uh, the two the two uh, the two other kids, from what I understand, that were part of the uh, that search party after they left the uh, the May House was uh, Neil Nunley and Ronnie Shaver. Uh, yeah, of course. Also with uh, Eugene Lemon and and his dog. Eugene Lemon took his dog along with too. Right. That, I think that's important. <laughs> that that poor little dog. In some some uh, some versions of the story, anyways. So we have a bunch of people here that went along. So it's not just like one or two people and it's not just a couple of kids. If it was just like two high school kids, I would never believe them because I was a high school kid once and I would definitely make up a story like this, you know, <laughs> it just goes with the territory, <laughs> but we have a bunch of people, adults, children, you know, nice, nice mixed group of different sorts of people. So they went up to the hill and when they got there, they said that there was a mist in the air that had a metallic or sulfur like smell that burned their eyes and noses. Now, when you read the descriptions, um, some skeptics say that, oh, well, it was sulfur. That must mean that there was like some sulfur vents in the area, which is a real thing. I guess in the area, there might be actually sulfur that could explain this, but it didn't sound like they meant it was literally sulfur. It sounded to me like they were describing something and sulfur was as close as they could get. They weren't saying it smelled like sulfur. They said it. that's the closest that they could describe it as, but it wasn't something that they were familiar with is sort of yeah what it sounded like. One of the accounts that I heard was, uh, yeah, they said that like uh, it was a sulfurish type, like burnt sulfur smell, but they specifically stated that it wasn't like anything they had ever like smelled before. But the, the closest thing they could describe was like a sulfur type smell. 
But I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting that like they they said specifically that it wasn't like any, they couldn't put a finger on the actual smell. They just knew it was it smelled absolutely horrible and it made them like nauseated. Yeah. Sulfur metallic. I'm trying to imagine that. It does not seem like something I'd want to oh, be that smelling. Just t- that is not <laughs> pleasant. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. That, that metallic gets on your tongue too, you know? Just like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've laid some farts in my day that were sulfury and metallic, I think. So you admit it. You were there. <laughs> it wasn't me. I wasn't alive back then. Ether's giving me a scissors motion. <laughs> cut, cut, cut. <laughs> hey. I'm not cutting Cut that. that attitude. I'm sure we have listeners <laughs> that want to hear about ETA's farts. <laughs> they always do. Oh, I could go into further detail. <laughs> but well, won't. well, maybe later. Well, well, maybe for the after hours. Let's let's, let's stay okay, with the case. Yeah. Let's stay with the case for now. So, anyways, some of the people uh, got well. I think pretty much all of them, but some of them seemed to get worse than others. But when they smelled this, it made them nauseous and it depends on again the story some of them became nauseous right away other versions of the story they became nauseous after the event but i guess the event happened so quick that you know take your pick and by some reports some of the witnesses were violently ill and they think it was from this you know this gas or this sulfur smelling mist or whatever it was the dog that came along by some reports read ran ahead of the group and he, he kind of went up where they couldn't see him anymore on the hill, but he came right back and he looked really frightened and the tail was b- b- between his legs. Some versions of the story, unfortunately, say that the dog did not make it. He got very sick and ended up passing away. But again, like I said, that could just be a newspaper embellishment because, come on, we, we, we love dogs on this show and we definitely hope that this guy made it out of there alive. Hopefully, you know. So when they got to the top of the hill, they saw a glowing object that they described as bigger than a house. And they saw two lights about a foot apart near the object. One of the boys had a flashlight and pointed it at the two lights. This is again another area where the details don't really line up between different versions. So some versions say that it was one of the younger children. And some other versions say that it was the um, the National Guardsman, the lemon fella, had the flashlight. But... Either way, it doesn't matter all that much. Somebody had a flashlight and they pointed it. They were using it to point around and they pointed it at the two lights they saw that were about a foot apart. And when they did that, they saw a creature that they described as being 10 feet tall. It had a bright red face, green clothing, a head like the ace of spades and clothing that hung in great folds around it. And its eyes glowed orange green. It had short like arms with hands that had claws on them, sort of like T-Rex arms. And when they shone the flashlight at it, the creature started to float towards them and whoever had the flashlight dropped it and uh, kind of screamed in panic. And then when that happened, the the group dispersed. They all just ran away in a, in a big panic and went right back to um, May's house, Kathleen May's house. And the creature, when it was floating towards them, apparently made some sort of like high pitched or screeching sound that frightened everybody. When they got to Kathleen's house, they called other people that they knew. They called their friends, they called the sheriff. And very shortly, there was a whole bunch of people there. And some of them went back up to the hill to look. But by the time they got there, there was nothing there. One of these people was a reporter named A. Lee Stewart from the Braxton Democrat, which is a, a local newspaper. And he went there, he went up to the hill, and he also interviewed some of the witnesses. He said that the witnesses were all extremely frightened. And that's an interesting detail because whether or not they saw, you know, an alien robot, it doesn't matter what they saw. If they were genuinely frightened of something, it doesn't mean anything other than that they were frightened by something unusual. And it suggests to me that they didn't get together as a group and all just sort of, Hey, let's, uh, let's make up some kind of hoax tonight. Cause why not? You know, um, cause, cause it's kind of difficult to fake being frightened. You know, you can fake being a lot of things, but I think that genuine fear response is somewhat difficult, especially for everybody in the group, especially children to nail it. You know, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe they were good actors over there. I don't know, (laughs) but that's sort of my impression. But yeah, so he, they went up to the hill 
And uh, they didn't see anything except for the, they did notice the smell. And the sheriff investigated as well, and he didn't find anything, but he thought that the group had seen a meteor and had been scared by the shining lights of local fauna, you know, like some sort of animals or something. The journalist, Stewart went back the next day and he found some skid marks and a strange goo or a gummy deposit. And they also saw a big depression in the grass and it looked like the grass was dried out. And it, it, some reports say it was like 15 feet in diameter. So it was a pretty big depression. And that's sort of thought to be where the craft was landed that they saw. And then the skid marks could be from the creature. Uh, and they think that maybe it was on something wheels, a sort of skis or something that it was sliding along. And it, maybe it wasn't actually hovering, but it was dark out. So they couldn't see for sure. Uh, but they suspect that's what the skid marks are for. I just like to say that Lee said the group had been, and I quote, scared, bad scared, unquote. They were scared, you see? Bad, bad scared. scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure I got some skid marks now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, I will be cutting sulfur that one. is oh, definitely in the air for that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I win. all right so this story became international news and investigators and journalists and just people came from all over the place all over the nation and people went and sort of canvassed neighborhoods and interviewed people and they found other witnesses that reported seeing similar things and i think that this is where we can pass it off to Agent Ether. I think you have stuff about uh, other sightings. I do, and a lot of it is from the quarterly bulletin that was put out in winter 1953 by the L.A. Civilian Saucer Investigation, or CSI. And Mr. William and Donna Smith were on their way to California, and when they heard about this, or maybe saw it in the paper, they stopped to interview everyone. Oh, okay. So the journal states that Let's see, 11 miles from the Lemon Farm, a mother and her 21-year-old daughter on their way to church encountered a similar creature as the one described, and the daughter was hospitalized with hysteria for three weeks at Clarksburg Hospital. I mean, I would flip out if I saw something like that. And that's where I also found that Lemon's mother and friend were, were having coffee. That little tidbit as well was in the newspaper. Okay. Nearby at Birch River... The local board of education director saw a flying saucer, but it was the next day, September 13th, at 6.30 a.m., and he told the local newspaper owner, Mr. Stewart, that he had, that he had seen that. So he would go up there and uh, check it out. And then the day after the incident in Frametown, West Virginia Mountains, there was a car driving down in the evening, and it was George and Edith Snitowski with their 18-month-old son from New York, and their car battery suddenly stopped. The car came to a halt, and George got out of the car, and he noticed that sulfur filled the air like a mixture of ether and burned sulfur. Now, there was a new battery in the car. They weren't sure why it stopped, so he got out to, to check it out. And he saw in front of him a hovering globe moving back and forth and glowing violet. And when he saw it, he said thousands of needle-like vibrations were against his skin, and he started to feel sick. And not just a little sick, but so sick he had to, like, stagger back to the car. Now, he gets to the car and he notices his wife staring at something over his shoulder. So he turns and sees a figure immobile about 30 feet away. It's eight to nine feet tall in the shape of a man with a big head, bloated body, and long spindly arms. Hmm. The end of the arms were forked, and the creature glided towards him, then back into the woods, and then the light moved into the trees and vanished. And the encounter was published in Mail Magazine in 1955. 
And he waited so long because he said he was kind of freaked out, but then he wanted to share his sensational story. Didn't he uh, also describe, I'm not sure if you mentioned this or not, but um, di- didn't uh, George describe the, the, the creature's head as being like reptilian? Yeah, it was different than the, than the lizard monster. They actually call it the frame, frame town monster. Hmm, okay. Similar though. <clears throat> and I, I actually really kind of like that story. I wonder what kind of car they were driving because like in the, in one of the accounts that I read about that story, um, the monster like came up to the, the vehicle and kind of, uh, started inspecting the vehicle. Like it, it, it like, uh, rubbed its hand like across the, uh, the windshield. And maybe that's, I mean, maybe the, I'm just saying maybe, you know, it's an alien that was really, you know, it's, it appreciated car culture, you know, like he was like, damn, it's a cool car, buddy. You know, I, that's all he wanted to say. He just wanted to compliment him, compliment him on his car. You know, he does look like a figure that when you first glance at the Google pictures, he definitely looks like a, like a little creature that just wants a hug. You know, yeah, who he, knows? he might just be trying to find a friend, <laughs> old Braxy, you know, yeah. <laughs> come on. Okay. okay ah, so here. what if his farts make you uh, nauseated, you know? There's a few photos that make it seem like it's a little midget, or I don't what? know. That's ten feet it. tall. This, it's it's I, <laughs> no no. I, that's what I'm saying. It makes it look really small, and some some images that makes it look really cute, and then there's other images that makes it look like the queen of like, you know, wherever Mothman and her came from, kind of thing. So no, I know what you're saying. It depends on the artwork. I saw these cute little keychains. Um, and they were actually different cryptids, including Mothman and the Flatwoods Monster. And it did look pretty cute. Yeah, I found one. The one from the Blue Book files, the artwork reminds me of Adventure Time, of all things. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. I was going to say Doctor Who. It's just, you think about it, and it's just so out of this world. It's it's almost cheesy. Yeah. Yeah, the the artwork is kind of fun. It, it varies quite a lot, depending yes. on what you're looking at. It's true. And and I have one last thing. I actually did find a blue book file. Okay. On this, the Flatwoods, West Virginia case file. It's just two pages, very difficult to read, but I can see that it's a Project 10073 record card, and it's out of Flatwoods, West Virginia. You can't really read anything else, but typed in the bottom is the West Virginia monster as called, actually the object was geez, the well-known Washington area meteor of September 12th, having confirmation of an astronomy club from Akron, Ohio, and a letter from the president of that club. Hmm, so it was just a meteor. And there's another page as well, which kind of goes into more detail about the meteor, and witness statements. So it calls it a fireball, not just a meteor, but a fireball. It gives the direction and angle of flight. The duration was five to six seconds. The size was twice the diameter of the moon. Hmm. It gives the time as seven o'clock p.m. Now, I think you said it was different. What time did you say the event took place? Wasn't it seven fifteen? Was it seven fifteen? Okay, yeah. so that's pretty close. But if you have some a couple of kids playing football, and they, I'm assuming they're not, they don't have like a wristwatch on them. It's it would be very easy to miss, you know, your time by fifteen minutes. I think the shape was egg shaped with a smaller radius in the front and bluish green in the rear. It passed over Cumberland. Uh, in its flight to Flatwoods, and it passed within 160 miles of Akron and was observed going over there. And then the rest is pretty, pretty illegible. But that's what I found in Project Blue Book. That's in the Blue Book files. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was actually because, really hard to find because most of it's illegible. So when you right. do the search, it doesn't want to find it. So what did I search for? I searched for um, Flatwood and astronomy and then in the UFO files. See, I looked through the index for September 1952, and I didn't see anything. Well, you can't see the date. Yeah, is that the might thing. that might be why it might just be filed in the you know who knows where. Well, it's just it's completely it's it looks old. It's not redacted. It's just faint. Right, just faded away. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. good find, good find, Agent Ether. Why? Yeah. Thank you. So the conclusion, of course, was astronomical. 
Oh, of course. I mean, you know, that causes all sorts of robot sightings. (laughs) All the time. Yeah. All right. So we talked about variations of the stories. Now, the description, sometimes the monster had arms, sometimes it didn't. And some descriptions had a floating red pulsating ball of light that may have been a craft. Some of the witnesses described that the red face was glowing from within. And some people say, so the eyes are described sometimes as just being like holes with like light, sort of like maybe pieces of glass or something. And other times it had bulging eyes. Now, again, this is what I mean when, you hear like a bulging eyes description. You're like, really? Did they say that? Or is that the newspaper trying to get more clicks? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The head was sometimes shaped like an ace of spades. Uh, Sometimes it was not. And it had a cowling behind it in the shape of an ace of spades. A week and a half after the event, an investigator named Ivan Sanderson went to uh, interrogate some witnesses One of the things he did that probably not a whole lot of the journalists did was that he interviewed the witnesses separately. So from his descriptions, we get a little bit of clarity on what the witnesses saw. Their descriptions differed quite a lot from what we find in the newspaper articles. According to uh, Ivan Sanderson, according to Sanderson, the, the body was dark green and had a red hood and the beams from its eyes were blue and they never changed direction and they were kind of level and ahead and they did not point towards the witnesses and the creature did not have arms, maybe antennas coming from its body, but no arms. So the, the witnesses were not sure how close they got to the creature, but they said it was at the very most, it was about 30 feet. And this is really interesting because it's a little less sensational, I guess, than what the newspapers described. And it doesn't have like the claw-like hands and, you know, some of those other details. But it's still pretty dang weird looking. When the, the creature moved, when the flashlight shone on it. So they did see the glowing eyes. And when they hit it, it shone on Another detail, if you remember, I just said the eyes were glowing blue not greenish orange. And I was trying to imagine like greenish orange light. Hmm. And that's like, again, something out of a sci-fi movie, greenish orange light. That would just be like brown light. Wouldn't it? I mean, I don't don't know. know. Greenish orange light. That's so strange. Light. That's two colors simultaneously. That's, I don't know. That's very strange, but if the eyes are just blue, that's a little more reasonable. And you know, your average light bulb could potentially cause blue light. I mean, that makes it a little more believable to me. When, the, when they put the flashlight on it, the creature moved down a sloped path towards the glowing object, which they described as an inverted teardrop shape. And some of the witnesses said that the object appeared to be glowing red hot, and some of them thought that the object itself was actually red. So there's a little bit of a discrepancy there. Is Was it glowing because it was hot, or is it just red and it was sort of self-illuminated? little bit difference, but um, either way, it's still, they describe the shape the same and they describe the color the same, even if they perceived it a little differently. So where they describe that object, that's where the depression in the circular ground marking was found by the investigators who later went to the scene. I mentioned earlier, but there was a document found and this was a routing and record sheet that was classified restricted that indicates that the Pentagon was interested in soil sample analysis from the case. It doesn't say where they got the samples from. Like, was it from the depression? Was it from the skid marks? Was it from somewhere else? It doesn't say what the results were. This is just a document that says that we're requesting the samples. And the document was written by Dewey Fournay, who was involved in Project Blue Book. And it says... Reference are R&R dated 5th of September, 1952, same subject as above. Recent developments have prompted the attachment of increased importance to these samples, specifically a deposit seeming to have the same general characteristics and also related to a flying object incident has been reported from Flatwoods, West Virginia. In view of this possible relationship and the necessity for a prompt analysis of these two incidents, it is requested that utmost priority be given to the lab analysis of subject samples. 
signed William A. Adams, and that's Fournay's boss. So uh, I guess I don't know exactly how it would have worked, but Fournay is like on the letterhead, and I guess he would have sent it to his boss to be signed and approved. And the related case that he mentions here is is not specifically said on the document, but on the document is written by hand is um, De, uh, Des Verges or D-E-S-V-E-R-G-E-S, and he's referring to the Sonny Diverge or the Scoutmaster case, which is a whole other thing that we don't have time to get into now, but we'll probably do a case file on it eventually. But that was... That happened, you know, I I think that's what he was talking about on September 5th. I'd have to double check the dates on that one. But that's also, you know, a fairly well-known case from the time. And the other, the blue book file that I mentioned earlier, where the, the documents are just sort of stuck in the back, is from September 16th, 1952, Georgia. And it's a UFO sighting, if anybody wants to look that up themselves. So I did look up some other... UFO sightings from the Blue Book files just to see what was going on around the time. What were people seeing? Could I find anything similar that happened in September? And I didn't see anything that indicated, you know, giant 10 foot or taller robots, but there were a couple of sightings that I wanted to mention just because they sort of caught my eye. On September 12th, Somebody reported a UFO round flashing greenish white light and it had a red rim. And this was at 2.30 in the morning and it was seen by Ground Observer Corps. Uh, It was seen in Allen, Maryland. They saw the object for 35 minutes through binoculars. So it's not like an exact match, but it's still kind of weird looking and it may or may not be related, who knows, but it was seen on the same day earlier and in Maryland, which is not that far away. So the following day on the 13th of September in 1940, a pilot reported a fat football-shaped object three feet in diameter that almost collided with his light aircraft but swerved up at the last minute. He was flying at about 10,000 feet uh, south of Allentown, Pennsylvania, and a quote is, if what I saw was actually a physical object, the rapidity with which it altered its course was astonishing. He saw it for only about two seconds, and he said he was reluctant to report it until he saw a newspaper article about a saucer larger than an airplane hovering over Harris for about 20 minutes. And that sighting had multiple witnesses. Uh, it was reported in the newspaper, uh, the Newark, New Jersey newspaper, on September 18th. So there's a lot of disc reports in September and these reports I'm going over, a lot of them are much, much longer, but I'm just, I mean, you could talk about them all in length. So I'm just going over them very quickly here in Belfort, Pennsylvania on the 14th and 15th of September, there was a sighting. It was two nights in a row from the same witness and they saw a dull blue and yellow object with six red lights that moved slowly up and down and that one's kind of weird. He saw it for a little while and they said it was on the first night, it was a blimp. And on the second night, it was like a planet or something, which I mean, it could be a blimp, but I don't know why it would be a planet on one night and a blimp on the other night. Why not just a blimp in two nights in a row? I don't know. Uh, in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi on September 14th, witnesses saw a cigar shaped object, the size of the moon, and it hovered over a drive-in for about two hours. It changed to a half moon shape and then disappeared straight up. It came back five minutes later and stayed there for about an hour. Then it broke up and another object similar to the first came in. And then a third object joined the second one until the observer left the drive-in at about 2300 hours or 11 o'clock in the evening. Now I'm guessing actually the, the time of two hours, I'm guessing is the total sighting, not one object hovering there. So I'm guessing that's the, the whole thing. All right, on September 24th, over Charleston, West Virginia, crew members of a B-29 saw bright metallic particles streaming past the plane. They did not seem to hit the plane, but rather they, when, when they got near the plane, they would just sort of go around it. This was visible to all crew members from all observation points. The objects were pencil point width. And they had, <clears throat> they had a, so they were very small width-wise, but the length varied from a small flash to about three feet long. 
They saw them from a considerable distance away, and they seemed to be about 80, up to 80 to 100 feet to the sides of the airplane. And they were flying all around, and the scanners picked them up. Now, the report says scanners, but it doesn't say what kind of scanners, so I'm not really sure what to make of that. Was it radar? I don't know. There was no turbulence, and there was no contrails. There was no clouds. There were clouds in the distance. The air temperature was negative 10 degrees Celsius, and this lasted for about 50 miles of travel, and then it just stopped. They had flown the same route earlier in the evening, but did not see these strange objects. And they, um, the investigation determined that no explanation could be found. And they had, you know, scientists and meteorologists, whatever, and there's no plausible explanation as to what could cause this. That was my favorite one. So like, dude, that's like really, really kind of weird. It's basically like these sparks around the airplane. You think at first, maybe it's like a mechanical failure, but they saw them approaching from the distance. It didn't come from the airplane. And they said that they were out about like a hundred feet away from the airplane. So it just, it's like a really weird sighting. I don't really know what to make of it. Maybe some sort of strange atmospheric electrical phenomenon or something. I don't know, but it was a pretty cool sighting though. Even if it was probably something that was misunderstood at the time, I don't know. So that's kind of all I had for now for the, um, for this time for the Flatwoods. And then now we can talk about explanations unless, unless you other agents have more you wanted to mention about the case. Yeah, no, I'm ready to get to get into explanations. I mean, we pretty much covered all the stuff that I've, I wrote notes on as far as like the, the story and, and stuff that happened around it, you know. I did want to mention one Frank Fischino who wrote the Braxton County Monster, the cover-up of the Flatwoods Monster Revealed. There's also a documentary um, that features him. And he went and he interviewed witnesses directly, but he came up with some theories that I hadn't heard for before. And basically it had to do with how we were at war with these UFOs and extraterrestrials during the area, during the time of, of 1952. And he points to the meteor and how it's described as a, as a fireball and how it's seen in so many places and what duration and the different times. And he says, you know, that it's not, it's not possible that it was in fact a meteor that witness statements contradict each other because there was more than more than one object. And he looks at different events ar- around the same time and on that evening, and he maps out what he thinks was this, was this war. Hmm. And I didn't read the whole book. Um, and it got mixed reviews. Some people felt that it was in-depth, really good and thoughtful research, and other people thought it was a little... You know, a little on the woo side of things. Yeah, a little on the woo side. So I'm I'm gonna withhold judgment because I didn't personally read the read the book, but I just kind of thought that was that was interesting. And he interviewed one Colonel Leavitt, who was a captain in 1952 with the National Guard, and he was on scene. And he said it was him and 50 to 60 other people who came over the back roads in a very covert operation to collect samples of everything, including the barks from the trees, box them up, put them in jars, and ship them off to Washington. Well, that checks out, because remember I mentioned that document earlier where they're talking about samples. They're not specific, but we know for a fact that they did take samples. So that actually backs up that guy's story. It does, yeah. And, and they weren't sure. He wasn't sure what happened to the samples. He wasn't involved on any other level except that he was there. Yeah, you know, as as part of the cleanup crew. Oh, now that that just kind of makes me wonder because there were I don't think I mentioned, but they supposedly they found some sort of goop or goo or right, oily tar, maybe some kind sort of residue on the ground near the skid marks, and it makes you wonder: Did they get a sample of that, and what did that help them solve the mystery? Maybe it was something mundane. Maybe it was some kind of prank, and this was just some a mechanical monstrosity. Like Ether was saying, now we have a witness who says, yeah, we went and collected all that stuff, you know? So it makes you wonder, what did they find in those tests, right? All right, is that all you, that all you got, Agent Ether? That's all I have. Yeah, and I, that book that you mentioned, The Braxton County Monster, is often cited. That's, that's like the book to read on this. And whether or not you believe about 
like all this war and stuff. Um, the, it's supposed to be a really good book because it has a lot of witness statements and it talks about not just the, the Flatwoods monster, but also some of the UFO sightings in the area at the time. Right. And kind of ties them all together. Yeah. So, so even if he doesn't necessarily come to the right conclusion, it still has a lot of the base evidence that you would need from witnesses in the area to sort of come to your own conclusion, whether or not you agree with them. I actually really want to get this book. Um, I didn't find out. I've never heard of this book before. I just found out about, about it when I was reading about this case. It's often cited as, you know, as the go-to reference, but I'll put a link in the description if anybody wants to check it out themselves and um, that just, you know, warning alert, that will be an affiliate link to Amazon. But um, as usual, it doesn't cost you anything extra if you want to buy it through that link. And it does help support the show. Please help us pay the bills. Gotta pay them bills. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so let's talk a little bit about um, the skeptical explanations because, you know, it depends. Sometimes I like to just completely ignore the skeptical explanations because, you know, come on. But in this case, it was the planet Venus. No, no, it was not Venus in this case. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> a blimp? Uh, or a weather balloon? Nope, nope, not a weather balloon either. Uh, so in this play, in this case, they think that it was first it was a meteor and then a barn owl. That's right. <laughs> a barn owl <laughs> sitting on a tree branch. Because, you know, there's plenty of 10-foot tall, 4-foot wide barn owls out there yeah, yeah, just roaming right? the forest. You know? No, no, no. That's not what it was. They do be chilling out there. So, no, no. So, they explained that. So, it was sitting on a tree branch that was um, 10 feet off the ground, I guess. And there was bushes underneath of the tree branch that sort of looked like a humanoid body. <laughs> and, uh, mm -hmm. like, shadows and stuff, I guess. And then the pulsating red light was from a nearby aircraft navigation beacon. I don't you guys, I'm sure everybody has seen those when you're driving around at night. Yeah. Those big the tall towers yeah. with the red lights yeah, on them. Yeah, big tall things. Stuff, right? Yeah, look kind of like radio towers and they got those blinking lights. Yeah, those things. Yeah. So I guess one of those was like somewhat in the area and it was uh illuminating illuminating just the owl, <laughs> I guess, and nothing else. And that's what caused the but it still doesn't explain the landed craft or the, you know, Anything else, I suppose. Um, now, to be fair, owls can have a pretty terrifying screech. But what? Oh yeah. Oh that that one in particular does actually. I've heard I heard a recording of a that that type of barn owl. Uh, like the screech that it makes actually is pretty blood curdling. Yeah, it's it's yeah. kind of scary. Like if I heard that, if I heard that, it was like nighttime, dark as shit outside. I was in the woods. If if I heard that noise, I got to be honest. I might I might I, shit a break. Yeah, I I have actually had that situation not in the woods, but I was. After practice at rugby, I was like waiting for my ride to come pick me up. Everybody left. All the lights started getting shut down at the school. So it was all like just dark. And there was this at the back bay area, this big field of wheat or, you know, just high brush. All of a sudden you hear that, Rah! like just something screech. And then it, it peel out from the bushes. And I, it, I was jumped. I, you know, I was ready to fight. It was terrible. Those yeah. things. <laughs> it sounds. Me out. I don't like looking at owls. It sounds unnatural. We actually have an owl around here somewhere. He's he's chilling with us. Well, when I go on walks, sometimes I'll go on a nighttime walk with one of our cryptids, and I'll hear him. I'll just hear him going. Ooh, ooh. They're they're very <laughs> nice. They sound cute. I I imagine they're you know they're small, and they probably want a hug. I like Agent Ether's approach. She wants to make peace with it. She's gonna say she's cool with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I would. I'd be freaked out. I'm ready to fight it. But yeah, you hear, but you hear this barn owl screech or whatever, man. That does not sound cute. That sounds like like a monster or something. But what this particular, yeah, well, who knows what it could have been like. For for example, just if I if I may, yeah, uh, yeah go ahead. Uh, put that point toward, uh, forward. You ever heard two cats fighting? <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, I have heard the weirdest, some of the weirdest noises I've ever heard coming from something that's not a human. Is is like a cat fight. They make some crazy freaking noises. You'd never sometimes you'd never guess if you didn't know that was a cat already that it was a cat. You're just like, what the holy hell is that? Yeah, a demon hell spawn. Like, you know, it's, it's I don't know. It's animals animals can make some weird noises if you're not familiar with them, and especially if you're not familiar with them. You know, you're in the dark forest or something like that, looking for a meteorite or something. You might be already on edge or you know or whatever. Yeah, I mean, if you hear something odd that you're not familiar with. 
ah, who knows? You might come up with a story like this, I suppose, but <laughs> maybe not. I kind of uh, side side on that. I don't know, like that. You know how like like people like the, one of the explanations is is just that that they heard basically like a, a barn owl screech, and it freaked them out so much they came up with this story. I don't know how that works, to be quite honest. Like, like, how does that work? You heard a weird noise, so then now you you come up with this whole story, this elaborate story about, you know, um, a very, uh, uh, you know, well-described uh, being, I guess. Now, the lower half of the being wasn't as well-described as, as, as a top half. Um, like, it didn't appear that it had legs. It was hovering, right? And uh, um, I think, what was it? Um it was uh, the mother, I think, uh, Miss May there, that described it as uh, having like, like uh, clothing-like folds, and like the like the gown that it was wearing appeared to be like metallic or something like that in one of the descriptions that that I heard. But like, I mean, a lot of that stuff is kind of specific. And if you were just to hear a noise that freaked you out in the woods, I don't know what would compel you to give the description that they did. You, you know what I mean? It does, that make, that makes no sense to me. Right. You know, it, it doesn't line up. You know, with with the with the stories that they, even though the stories are, you know, there's a lot of different variations. Um, they're all pretty similar enough, at least, you know. And and um, yeah, I, I I don't accept that that explanation, you know, because it just it seems like uh, the, the and the, the creature too, whatever it was, whether it was an alien or cryptid, whatever the heck it was, one of the things that kind of stands out to me is. It's actually kind of a unique description what this creature supposedly looked like. Um, it's not too close. Like, like, you know, you like in the area you have the Mothman, for example, for example, you know what I mean? And like the Mothman, like, uh, it's, it's made up of like, you know, familiar like body parts and stuff like that uh, of like animals or whatever, maybe insect or something like that, that exists already on this planet, you know? But like this thing, it was, it was very unique. You know, it, it wasn't, it doesn't, the, the description didn't sound like, it was like, you know, just a, um, you know, a bunch of different animal parts being grouped together, you know what I mean, and, and forming a creature. What if that was the first stage of it, man? What if that, <laughs> that was well, Mothman? Well, I'm just saying. When it I'm crashed, just saying that it was just yeah. a grub, and it needed to piece those oh. parts together, you know? Man, just slowly need, evolutionized. It just, you know. And it, it hadn't yet deformed, uh, it hadn't yet formed that well-defined ass that Mothman, <laughs> really, we now know he has, you know? I'm just saying, you could just just go look at that statue. I'm just saying, you know. But anyways, it's a unique it's a unique description, is what I'm saying. It's not very similar to to anything else being described at the time, which, in my opinion, actually kind of gives it a little bit of credit. You know, I, I, at least it was an original thing, kind of. You know, like like. And again, it's what their brain is trying to make sense too. So like, if, sure. You know, we haven't seen it. You know, we we haven't witnessed what they've exactly seen. So. You know, again, we could see something completely different from what they've seen. And it's just, you know, it's just that is very fascinating in itself is just what our brains do to comprehend the situation. Yeah. And I totally agree with with what ETA's evaluation there of the skeptical explanation. And just to sort of add to that, I find it very these these were not tourists who who had, uh, you know, they're from the city and this is their first time ever seeing a barn owl or whatever. These are people who lived there and probably they all lived there their whole lives and they would have been familiar with the local animals. And this would not have been the first time that they had run across or heard an owl screeching. They would be familiar with the local wildlife. And furthermore, yeah, sure. Animals have glowing eyes in the dark under certain conditions, but that's not what they described. They described like beams of light coming out of the eyes And furthermore, they hit it with a flashlight. So if they hit it with a flashlight, they would have seen it directly, not some sort of shadow. So once you really think about it, this particular skeptical explanation doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And if it was just one individual who panicked, maybe, but a whole group of people, I find it very hard to believe that this was an owl. Whatever it was, I don't think it was an owl. One, it's I, a pretty big yeah, damn L at ten feet. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. And also, like back in those days, kids didn't like you know they weren't sitting at home playing video games or on social media. Or kids like they went out and they did stuff, you know, back then, and they went and explored the woods and they they went on adventures and stuff. You know what I mean? In the woods and everything, like, and so I, I think that those. I think you're absolutely right. 
I think those kids would have been, had to have been very familiar with the wildlife in the area because undoubtedly they, they must have come across it during some period, you know? Yeah. It's highly likely, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, that explanation just, just doesn't really hold up for me. It, it just leaves too much out and it doesn't address at all the object that they saw near the, the creature, whatever it was. One idea is that, that let's say hypothetically that the object was some sort of crashed alien craft. One idea is that this was some sort of robot guarding that craft while whoever was flying it was perhaps repairing it. Oh, so that might be a century. Yeah. And that might be why it came towards the people and tried to scare them off or perhaps used a gas to incapacitate them or, you know, something like that. But that's one oh, idea. Hey, it's another gas. There's not really it's any, another gas or type of. So I'm sorry. Go ahead, just, it, I keep seeing the similarities with, with, uh, you know, when it comes to these aerosols or so, some tor- type of uh, gas emitted. And then it wasn't the case that we did the week before last where the, you know, why am I Betty cash? Um, am I forgetting her name? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, yeah. The cash land room. Yeah. We also did Robert Taylor. His case, which also had some gash gaseousness involved today. Nowadays, they have a sign commemorating the event in the area, which has probably been stolen because that seems to be the case. Every time we look into this, you know, you guys hear about that being stolen because every time I mention something, a plaque or whatever, no, be like, it's been stolen. No, always, always the case. I know that the the town of Flatwoods ha, um, has that sign as you as you drive into the town, saying "Welcome, welcome to Flatwood, the home of the Green Monster." Oh, okay, or something like that. People have some weird tendencies, man. Why do you want like what? <laughs> yeah, look at that. Yeah, I stole that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it's kind of cool that like the, the the town has kind of embraced the, you know that this the myth or this story, whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? Cause like, mo- I mean, a lot of people like, 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 for example, like UFO sightings, a lot of people that claim to be abducted or have had a UFO sighting, especially way back in these days too. Um, you know, they, they were seen as like lunatics or, you know, like somebody who was just making up a wild story or something, you know? Um, but when you see like, like, for example, like the Mothman, perfect example. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about a town that has, has just embraced that, that story. And, and made something out of it, you know. Um, in Flatwoods, there there is a uh, a, 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 um, a museum, I guess, I guess you can call it, <laughs> a museum for the Flatwoods monster. I've seen videotape of it, and it's, it's kind of sparse. It's, uh, but it's kind of cool too, though. You know, it's. Uh, but like like I said, they they do actually promote like like tourism. No, they have stuff a monster for, museum, though. They definitely do. Yeah, yeah. I can link it too. It's on Main Street. But yeah, no, I think it's kind of cool that they, they have embraced uh, the Flatwood monster, the Flatwoods monster. Well, they have they have a, a celebration too once a year and they'll have like a parade and give candy to the kids and have food just like they do in uh, with, with the Mothman. So maybe we could make like a little tour. I don't think they have them on the same well, days. Yeah. So. Speaking of anniversaries and yeah. stuff, I mean, they say that. That'd if, be cool. Uh, every anniversary that you can actually hear the hissing still out in that neck of the woods of where the sighting was taking place. So, yeah, it's I'm not. It's the. It's not from me. It's from the site. It's the annual Flatwoods Days Festival, and it sounds awesome. I bet there's beer involved. Oh yeah, there would have to be. <laughs> they also have five tall chairs in the shape of the monster built by the Braxton County Visitors Bureau as sort of like a local attraction. And if you photograph yourself sitting in all five chairs, then they will give you a sticker that says free Braxy. <laughs> <laughs> Which, what, what does that even mean? I don't know. I didn't know that Braxy had been, uh, had been enslaved or, or I trapped. looked around. I was like, is this like, is this like free Brittany? But I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. It was a whole manhunt and Braxy was caught by the government. I guess so. And we're, it's being held in area 51. You didn't know this? It's news to me. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the chairs, they're all slightly different, right? They're not the same. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's the yeah. same chair. I wonder if they base it on different people's descriptions. Yeah, it could be. They, they do look like they had a little bit of variation there. Yeah. They also look, look kind of big. I'm, well, like, I'm looking at them right now. Well, Braxy was kind of big, so <laughs> maybe you don't have to sit in the chair. Maybe you could just take a picture of the chair or... 
you probably go to the the visitor centers. You probably just tell them, "Yep, I, I got all the chairs. Can I have my sticker?" They probably just give it to you. No, I don't you know. take a picture of yourself in the chair and prove you were there. Yeah, that would be the fun. That would be so. I don't know why that sounds like a lot of fun. There's like so much cool stuff in West Virginia that I didn't know about before looking into some of this stuff. It definitely seems like a cool place to go. I got to go there for vacation sometime. If you want more information about the Flatwoods Monster, you can visit Braxie.com. B-R-A-X-X-I-E.com. Two X's. Two X's. Is that is that like an official site or? The Braxie site's through the uh, museum, so I would think it would be official. Oh, okay. Okay, that's cool. All right. That's about all we have for this week's episode. And before we wrap it up, let's talk about, so I was looking on Amazon shopping around. I saw like the coolest damn thing. He's been talking about it now all week. So he finally got one. Thank goodness. But then it's going to get here and then he'll talk about it some more. (laughs) So what it is, is it's, it's a, um, like a Bluetooth speaker, right? But it's also a flying saucer. And literally, literally it, it hovers. So it's got like a base. Really? Yeah. It's got like a base and like a top and like the, the saucer is like fly. It like hovers and spins right? and spins above lights up. Yeah. And it's like a speaker thing. Uh, It's hard Hmm. to describe, but like, it's so cool looking. Isn't there a video? You can watch a video. Yeah. There is a video. When you look at the link, there'll be a video on there. But it looks awesome. I had to buy. I couldn't help myself. I had to buy it. It's supposed to be here tomorrow, so we'll see how it turns out. But um, I just thought that was so cool, and I was like, "Hey, let's use that for our Amazon link this week." So there you go. Check it out if you'd like to help the show out and buy a really super cool UFO lamp speaker type thingy or whatever. It floats. It floats. Yeah, it's pretty cool looking. Um, check it out in the description. It's an affiliate link. It doesn't add anything to the cost. It costs the same whether or not you use that link and it helps support the show. And uh, I guess that's about all we have for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Keep it strange.